the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. We've seen multiple mass and school shootings in the U.S. recently and even a shooting here in Canada. What is the impact on the mental health of the survivors? And are you an overthinker? 80% of people are. 20% aren't. That means what's wrong with me? Think again on how to put an end to this. We cover it tonight. And are you struggling as a midlife woman? Many do, but don't have to. Also going to talk about a medical condition that people got pretty hysterical about. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. So, so many people feel that the pandemic is over. In large part, it's because mask mandates have been reduced or uh, removed in, in many parts of the world. Um, the, we, we vaccinated a number of people, um, so we have some immunity there. Many, many people have gotten COVID, um, and so they have been provided with some additional immunity for a brief period of time. But believe you me, by no means is the pandemic over. And in fact, it looks as though Canada is heading for a new wave. I have to say that I deal somewhat in COVID um, with a lot of patients who have been diagnosed with COVID. I provide uh, educational resources to companies for COVID. Sorry about the noise. Um, and, uh, and so I end up talking to a lot of people who have COVID and COVID is not over. Um, the, and, you know, the thing is the B4 and the B5 subvariants are the two, about, account for about 30% of cases. And COVID cases are actually rising globally. First is one myth that I would like to dispel for you. And that is that, um, that COVID is like a cold. For about 80% of the patients that I have spoken to, COVID is far more than a cold. And it won't put you in the hospital. Uh, it puts some people in the hospital. And actually in Canada, hospitalizations have risen, as have ICU admissions as well. But what it will do is make people, what it seems to be doing is make people quite sick for three to five days. And they are sick with a fever, muscle aches, nausea, vomiting, chills, uh, inability to sleep, diarrhea. And so it's quite uncomfortable. Headache, severe headache, um, muscle aches, as I mentioned. And so it seems that although... um, it's it's more transmissible these two variants it, and it you know less people are dying there has not been an increase in deaths we are seeing people who are actually getting you know fairly significantly ill one of the reasons i just didn't want to get covid and don't want to get covid is because i really didn't want to have to isolate for 5 to 7 to 10 to 14 days it would kill me i mean i i really think it's um tremendously difficult mentally for a lot of people and especially in the summer to be stuck in your room or your bedroom um well it might not be that bad no um (laughs) but to be stuck in your room alone um by yourself no one to bother you television whatever you want dinner served doesn't sound too bad but um no actually we are about relationships and we are about engaging in life and and enjoying life and so that would be very difficult and it has been very difficult for a lot of people to actually stay in their rooms, isolated, 
not with friends or family. And it's tough, especially when it's beautiful weather out there. But so that's one reason that I didn't want to get it. Another reason I didn't want to get it is they're seeing that there's about 33% of people who suffer long COVID. And then now we're seeing increased risk of people who've had reinfections. They're getting an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's disease. And so, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. COVID cases are on the rise around the world. And this has prompted the World Health Organization to raise concern about the reduction of testing and a lack of equal access to vaccines and antiviral medications in some lower income countries. You know, this is a global pandemic. It is not just about us um, or it is not just about you. Um, So we have a caller um, on the line. And um, so I'm not sure what uh, he wants to talk about, but Larry is on the line from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hello, Larry. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Calling in from Pittsburgh. (laughs) To what do I owe this honor? (laughs) Yeah, I was just up in New York with my partner. Were you? Yeah, and uh, she got COVID. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I did not get COVID. Now, I have had shots and both boosters. So it was kind of an anomaly. I stayed with her to keep her company um, in the hotel room, but did not get COVID. And I think it's because I had the booster. But it could also be because I drink bourbon and smoke scotch. You know, that type of thing. I definitely think it's because you drink bourbon and smoke scotch or do you (laughs) Um, you drink bourbon and smoke cigars, did you say? Yes. And so it, <laughs> I'm sure that's why. In fact, it probably has nothing to do with your COVID shots and your booster shots. No. <laughs> so you stayed with your partner in the hotel room yes. after after they had been diagnosed with COVID-19. Yes. And we had traveled around, went up to Boston and wherever we went to a, a couple theater shows, whatever, wherever she was at, I was at. And for whatever reason, I also sleep with a CPAP machine and who knows, you know, type 2 diabetes. Why I didn't get it, I have not. <laughs> so you are the picture of poor health. No. <laughs> yes, I and you still di- And you still didn't contract COVID-19. Still did not contract. Nope. Nope, did not. Wow. So whatever reason, it's bourbon and cigars. Um, I had a friend who said that if you drank scotch when you lost your sense of smell, wives' tale maybe that your sense of smell would come back if you drank heavily peated scotch. So there's <laughs> so a wives' did tale your par- for your There we go. There's a wives' tale for everything. Did your partner yeah. lose their sense of smell? No, she did not. Her symptoms were very mild in the sense of it felt more like a chest cold and congestion type thing. Um, okay. But did not lose appetite or anything like that. And is she vaccinated? Yes, and had one booster. Just hasn't had. And had one booster. Vaccine. Okay, so you're attributing this to? I mean. I mean, it's the scotch and the cigars for sure. I know that that has provided some protection for you. Um, but uh, the the fourth booster, would you say that's the difference between the two of you? Yes, I would. I would say significantly. Um, yeah. And I had my fourth booster or the fourth shot um, about a month ago. 
Wow. So you're still pretty well protected there. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you certainly had um, close proximity, close contact. Yeah. I mean, we stayed in the same 400 square foot <clears throat> hotel room. I just wanted to keep her company. And since I was not seemingly getting sick um, and then I left and came back to Pittsburgh yesterday. So. Uh, oh, wow. And you've tested yourself. You've you've done. Yeah. Yep. I've tested myself. And... I'm negative. That's amazing. And you feel fine. Yeah. Still drinking well, scotch and bourbon. <laughs> well, that sounds great. So just a whole new treatment for COVID-19 for all the scotch drinkers and cigar smokers out there. They're smiling big time right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that is excellent. That's just amazing. I have to say, because especially did, if I don't mind, if I don't get too personal, but were you in the same bed? Yes. In the hotel room. <laughs> I wear a CPAP machine, so, you know. Yeah. So that's a, might, might um, provide some interference there. But So you're in the same bed. You know, I, I deal with a lot of patients who are diagnosed with COVID-19. I, you know, deal with close contact and that kind of thing. And about 95% of people who have shared any interior space with somebody who's tested positive for COVID-19, whether it be 15 minutes or, you know, 24 hours, they all have contracted COVID-19, and you didn't. You're somewhat of a miracle case, I would say. Yeah, it appears that way. I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I'm past the age of, of 65 also, so, um, you know. Wow. So you but certainly I, have a, a lot of risk factors. Oh, yeah. Lots of risk factors. Yeah, so you no. don't want to get sick. You don't want to get COVID. Get I, I take the shots. I took the shots in the very beginning. Um my daughter's an anesthesiologist and went, um, Dad, you can do one of two things. You can take the shots or you'll just get sick and end up in the hospital. Well, excellent. You, well, she gave you amazing advice and you took it, yep. which is also awesome. Yep. And, um, yeah. Well, Larry from Pittsburgh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. No problem. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Well, there you have it, the vaccines. The, the booster shot, if you are, um, and I know in Canada, it's it's quite different than in the U.S. Because in Canada, those second booster shots are not as available as we would like them to be. Anyway, as soon as you become um, eligible to receive one, may I suggest you take Larry's daughter's advice. If we look to the south of us, we can see that violence is something that has impacted that country tremendously. But but Canada is not immune either. It affects all communities, rural settings, urban settings, and we see it across the socioeconomic spectrum. A 2019 survey, survey by the American Psychological Association found that a majority of adults in the U.S. are stressed about mass shootings, with one-third of adults saying that it stops them from going to certain places and events. So far in 2022 alone, mass shootings have occurred in all kinds of places, supermarkets, elementary schools, and most recently, a 4th of July parade. We've seen it ourselves in a small community at a bank robbery in Saanich, British Columbia. And according to the Gun Violence Archive, more than 300 mass shootings have happened so far in the U.S. And a mass shooting is defined as an incident of four or more shot and killed, not including the shooter. This impacts communities in ways that I cannot even 
imagine. Joining me on the line to help me with this very, very distressing subject is mental health professional and firefighter, Matt Johnson. Good evening, Matt. Good evening, Marie, and thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for joining the show. I mean, we have seen no shortage of mass shootings, obviously, this year. We we have it as well here in Canada, most recently with the bank robbery that occurred in Saanich, British Columbia. In fact, one of my patients sent me a video of it happening live, and I, I, I couldn't mm-hmm. even absorb what I was watching. I, I just wasn't even certain as to what it was. And, um, but I mean, these are tragic and horrific. And I mean, we've, we've seen a little, a young toddler abandoned, you know, uh, be, uh, becoming an orphan, I should say, um, as both of his parents were killed in the Highland Park in mm-hmm. Illinois, um, mm-hmm. shooting, um, you know, this just really stretches far and wide in terms of tragedy what is the impact on communities in terms of mental health and and how do people go on? Yeah, it's a very distressing, uh, you know, well-established trend that unfortunately has an epicenter that's well, much larger and crosses many geopolitical boundaries as we see, Um, you know, as a full-time firefighter, you know, we're trained to engage and intervene in a distressing event um, but the magnitude of these are, are such large, um, infrequent and high risk that it's, it's difficult for public safety to even uh, comprehend, let alone civilians. Um, and I think really what you speak to, Maureen, is, you know, we, we throw around the term trauma very loosely in society. And, and there are many layers to a, a traumatic event. And um, I know in my training, I, I actually kind of stay away from the term trauma because of the stigma that's associated with it. Um, it typically talks about a damage to one's mind, exceeding one's ability to cope, as if the event itself is more uh, powerful than our ability to cope with it. Um, so mm-hmm. I really think that that's a beginning point in understanding what trauma looks like. And what you speak to uh, for the vast majority of us is vicarious trauma which is witnessing event and witnessing the unfixable suffering of others. Um, And that is what I mean by the shockwave that can happen, is that we can be perfectly safe within our home or community, but feel somehow that we're under siege because these shootings that we saw in Saanich and obviously within the United States, it strips humanity and it puts civilians in kind of an ad hoc battlefield without training or protection that public safety would have when they respond to these events. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I have recently um, traveled and also with the holidays that we've had. And when I've been in a large crowd, the thought has crossed my mind, you know, that could happen here. Um, you know, you just, it, it is, you know, it was one of the first times I was truly mindful of that, of that thought. Um, and I Absolutely. think maybe it was, the fact of Highland Park in Illinois, mm-hmm. for some reason, that hit close to home. Partly I'm American. It was a July 4th day parade. I, I happened to attend, and I think that's where it was. I was at a July 4th parade um, in the state of Maine. And, uh, you know, it was just that fleeting thought that, you know, what would happen if if that occurred here? And, it, and it's very much a reality. 300 of those incidents 
have occurred in the U.S. And then, and then plus we saw one quite close to home. I think we as Canadians think that um, this, you know, we're immune to that or this doesn't happen as much here, but it certainly does happen in Canada and it, it has certainly happened in schools and, and in other venues as well. Yeah, and you know, what makes a distressing event potentially traumatic for someone is, like you said, a, a personal connection too. So for instance, if your wife is uh, working at a bank and you see this bank robbery happen in Saanich and you happen to live in the Lower Mainland and your wife works at a branch in Abbotsford, that impact is going to be much more significant because you're, you're, you might be consumed with the what-ifs. And really, there's two different responses that we tend to have when it comes to the stress response. We can either be overly connected and hypervigilant, which is what you spoke to, kind of an anxiety that provokes you in a large group setting. Um, or it could be a sense of disconnect or numbness, which I think that someone that experiences may- many layers of trauma tends to suffer with, which is a complete disconnection from um, you know, your reality. And, and both are, you know, in some ways an adaptive response and in other ways a maladaptive response because your vigilance might keep you safe in a public set- setting because you're, you're more attuned to what's happening around you. Um, but if it's consuming you and you're feeling it at a gut level, even when no risk actually exists, that's where, unfortunately, this can have a really resonating impact within many of us. And, um, you know, you, sp- you spoke earlier about the impact of COVID, and there's all these other layers within society that are happening that is creating this collective anxiety, um, which I think is obviously proliferated when we have these shootings that, that unfortunately happen close to home as well. Absolutely. And it, it's such a juxtaposition, you know, uh, events like going to the supermarket. I mean, it's just such a, it's such, such an innocent outing. You're going to purchase food to make dinner for your family. You're um, going to school. We think of schools or they were at one point the safest place. Oftentimes kids who don't get breakfast and lunch at home are fed you know, in schools, they're learning a, a July 4th parade. I mean, you know, at the one that I attended, there was some um, eight, there was somebody dressed up as Abe Lincoln, an older gentleman dressed up as Abe Lincoln. And, you know, it's just, it's just such innocence and such, and, and all of a sudden it is just, uh, you know, there's just this violence that is just so opposite, so diametrically opposed to, the the joy and the happiness and the celebration that people want and all of a sudden just this horror ensues mm-hmm. and and it's it, i i would say for the most part it's unexpected but and mm-hmm. then maybe we because we forget about the last one and we don't know we just can't imagine somebody would shoot up little children in a school or or at a 4th of July parade or and certainly not at at a supermarket i recently went to a synagogue and you know they checked bags and it's just like right of course they're going to check bags you know initially i i thought oh oh really they're checking bags but then i remembered yes of course because synagogues of course have been targeted uh if you will i mean Mm -hmm. how how do communities get past something like this how do they ever recover Yeah, and I think the term that comes to mind when you mention that is how do we heal and move forward? And that's a really, uh, you know, tough question to ask because 
you know, on a systemic level, whether it's a school system you mentioned or the public safety infrastructure, whenever these events happen, you know, um, as an organization, whether it's a school district or public safety, unfortunately, they have to have blanket policies that they develop that when you mention the innocence, ends up stripping the innocence of the children and creates an even more hypervigilant public safety infrastructure system where there's increased security, you know, there's these protocols that all people have to go through, and thereby it might increase the safety, but it also reinforces the sense of hypervigilance people have because they have visible reminders of the security and of the training that schools will have with lockdowns. So, you know, it's a, it's a really tough question to ask is, is how do we move forward and heal from these things? And I would say that it's similar to grief and loss in that it doesn't really happen on a timeline. Um, hopefully, these are very infrequent events. Obviously, living in Canada and being Canadian, I'm very proud that, to say that we don't have these North Saanich shootings as, you know, as frequent as they happen. And really, you know, as a clinician, um, looking at the reality testing of what is our actual risk. You know, when I used to work with uh, children, I found that, you know, children struggled with high levels of anxiety would often um, be really leery of leaves rustling in the forest as we went for a walk in nature. But yet when we crossed the street, they would be buried in their cell phone, not even looking around to traffic. And so what were they, you know, what was when we reality test that, what was a greater risk? And really, that's what we need to do as a society with this, is teach our children and have our conversations with our family and friends about what is the actual risk? Um, what are the chances that this will happen to me? And, um, you know, luckily, I can say that, you know, in Canada, we don't really have to worry about that if we reality test that principle. We have other risks that are much more likely to happen, like, you know, walking across the street buried in our cell phone. Right. I, I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was recently in the state of Maine and um, we were swimming and we're all out at the dock and all the kids are around. And, and there was a, a kid who came up and I just said, what's your name? And and he said, I can't tell you. Um, I'm not allowed to tell my name to anybody. Uh, mm. You know, and here we are in the state of Maine in a rural area. Um, <laughs> and I said, OK, yeah. of course, no problem. That's great. And then he said, stranger danger. <laughs> um, yeah. His grandmother was sitting on the beach. <laughs> anyway, and um, I, I thought, fine, you know, good for him. He obeyed his parents, which is something, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. I can't guarantee my children would do. But, um, yeah. you know, it's just like it was it also struck me that it's just, you know, in a you know, in that setting, and as you mentioned, you know, like, that's really not probably the biggest danger. You know, do you know what I mean? All the kids are telling their names and, um, yeah, you know. and unfortunately, that is, you know, the, the lived experience of a hypervigilant society, right? Where children are taught by their parents who may have witnessed something, but likely witnessed it on TV, um, you know, or an extension of school district uh, policies that have impacted the home life, right? And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. it's like that fire safety talk that you have with your children about how you'd get out of the house if there was a fire. But, you know, the important thing to tell children with a fire is the chances of this ever happening is very, very slim, you know, and, and as a clinician, right. I would really work as, with these children 
if I was still in practice, to reality test these situations and really talk about what are perceived risks and what are actual risks. Because there's a lot more mm-hmm. riskier things in society uh, than, unfortunately, these mass shootings that, that garner a lot of attention. They're low-frequency, high-risk events, but, of course, you turn on the TV and you've got a 24-hour news cycle, and it feels like we're constantly under host- held hostage, right? And that's um, an unfortunate part of being so connected to technology in our lives, too, is that we Uh have that curiosity about who was the shooter? How did they pull it off? What was their background? How do we prevent this again? And it replays and lives within our minds. And like you said, it impacts your vigilance when you're on vacation. Uh, And it comes up in very unpredictable times where you could literally, you know, be triggered by... Um, you know, innocuous things in the environment. And, uh, you know, as a member of public safety, I can tell you in my personal life, there are reminders of work that happen subtly and unsubtly uh, throughout my my daily life that when I'm off the floor as a firefighter still come into my being, whether I like it or not. And that's the norm. That's Uh not the exception. Unfortunately, Uh this is what's happened is, is that a lot of civilians now are placed into the mindset of a member of public safety, but obviously with no training uh, and no proper protection or support. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, I understand what you're saying about, you know, being a clinician and certain things in your life might might trigger, you know, something that you've seen in the hospital or, um, you know, a, a trauma that has come into the emergency department or a patient you had. Um, in, in the ICU, you know, and certain things do enter my um, day subtly, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you, as you uh, said. Um, Pavlov's certainly... dog, right? That, you know, well, learning so... by association, it just, Absolutely. you know, that you're pairing two seemingly unrelated events that, you know, maybe a lot of your friends would be like, how did you make that connection? You know, it's a mis- yeah. mystery to many, right? <laughs> You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. We've got lots to talk about in this hour as well. We're going to be talking about midlife women and uh, some of the taking how maybe (laughs) how one woman has made it her mission to help midlife women find joy and meaning back in their lives. It could be a difficult time, that midlife from like 35 to 85. (laughs) Anyway, also going to be talking about a medical condition that is no longer, thank goodness. But right now, I want to talk to you about overthinking. To overthink means to think too much about something, to put too much time into thinking about or analyzing something in a way that is more harmful than helpful. Joining me on the line right now is stress coach, nutritionist, and wellness educator who helps busy professionals and many more, Nicole Porter. Good evening, Nicole. Hi, Marie. How are you? How I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Right. Good, good. We spoke earlier, and you mentioned to me, and I've repeated this a thousand times, 80% of people are overthinkers. I have to say, a lot of my patients this week, I said, tune into the show, <laughs> 9 o'clock. <laughs> I have a guest on talking about overthinking. To be honest with you, I'm, I'm one of the 20% that is not an overthinker, 
and I wonder, yeah. okay, what is what is wrong with me? <laughs> so well, I don't think there's um, anything. there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you no. either. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, there is so much wrong with me, let me tell you. We don't have enough time in the show to review all of that, believe you me. Um, but overthinking is not something that I tend to do. And I you know, I, I've often said I, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm, uh, what's the term I use? Uh, you know, it's like good enough. <laughs> like I, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect for me. I'd rather, you know, I have a high standard, but there's a word that I typically use to describe that, but, you know, kind of get the job done. Uh, like I, I keep the team moving, like, let's keep going. Right. Let's, let's, let's move along here. We're not going to yeah. overanalyze, but, but a lot of people are plagued by overanalysis, overthinking, you know, wondering, I'll, I'll just give an example. I, I recently said to somebody, okay, on that particular weekend, let's just, um, you know, why don't we add paddle boarding to the, we're having like a water day or whatever. And so then I said, um, you know, I just, I just got a tandem paddle board. And, um, and so they were saying, well, um, why don't we get some, pad- what kind of paddle boards did you get? And what should we get? And, you know, tell us the type. And I'm like, you know, I really don't even know. I just, I just, do it by dimension. And, you know, it's not something that I, and it's just like, if I give this to them to do, they're going to take, we're never going to get paddle boards. So I literally just sent one. (laughs) I sent, I shipped the the tandem one already. (laughs) And, (laughs) and then I think I'll just look online and find the other two. It'll take me five minutes. We'll have, you know, four paddle boards for the weekend. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I happen to know these over this one particular overthinker will go through everything and, Mm-hmm. Wouldn't she wouldn't even get up on the board. <laughs> mm-hmm. So why do people overthink? Well, you know, just a couple of things, because it, it reminds me of a quote that says, um, sometimes done is better than perfect. And when you're talking mm-hmm. about perfectionist traits, I mean, I think that's one thing that a trait that certainly runs or is a common denominator amongst overthinkers. I'm not saying everybody is a, is a perfectionist just because they're an overthinker. Um, but yes, I mean, I, I have in my private coaching programs and, and group coaching and just in different surveys and research that I've done, I, I estimate that about seven to eight out of 10 people are overthinkers. And other people, if they say they're not overthinkers, they may, and, and this may or may not be you, um, but I've had clients who say, well, I'm not an overthinker, but then they will realize that, yes, at certain points in my life when I maybe had to make a big decision or you know, something that was stressful or emotionally stressful. Maybe it was even a divorce or, or deciding to get divorced or deciding to not get divorced, whatever it is. They, they admit that they've maybe gone down that rabbit hole of thinking a bit too much. Right. I can't say I haven't made mistakes because I didn't overthink it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It could have used a little more thought, um, <laughs> but I think, uh, whatever. You know, I'm a little whatever. bit more global. A little bit more global right. than attention, and, and attention you to trust, detail. For sure. And you probably trust that you'll be able to make it out safely, right? Like even if you made a mistake, you're not doubting your ability to recover from what might be a, a mistake. And, and I think a lot of people are, are worried about that, you know? Right. I mean, a lot of this stuff that we think about or overthink about doesn't matter, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, certain things that I've learned from paddle boarding, you know, the shape of the board, the, the width of the board, you know, the length of the board, you know, those things, you know, they don't, I mean, if we get the wrong paddle board, it doesn't matter, you know, but mm-hmm. I happen to have learned that I have the confidence. This is what we need. 
this is the best. These are the, what you know we should get. Boom, done. That's it. Move on. It doesn't matter if the, if the wrong one is shipped. Who cares? It's not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. It, it's that sweating the small stuff kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah. I talk about overthinking in my programs firstly because it is something that puts stress on the body. And, you know, people don't always believe that the way you think and what you think about or how much you think about it or even negative mindset, people don't necessarily understand that just the way you think can have a physical impact on the body. So, if, you know, I might, I might wake up in the morning and see 100 emails in my inbox and think, all right, that's awesome. I'm ready to go and I can't wait to take on the day where somebody else might find that really stressful. So, of course, our perception is, is key when it comes to overthinking. And then the second reason why I talk about it is because I am such a believer in people being able to not just listen to their bodies and what their bodies are telling them, but also to listen to their intuition. And so I describe it in my program as, you know, if you're overthinking, you're in your head, whereas I want you to get into your body, right? So, so meaning that the ultimate goal would be that you can make intuitive decisions. Because truly, if you think about it, you know, maybe you can't think about a time because you're not an overthinker. But any time that you've thought, oh, I, I didn't follow my gut, that, that mm-hmm. often results in stress. Right. And that's why mm-hmm. I tie it into my programs as a stress coach, because I want people as much as possible to make intuitive decisions. And if you're stuck in your head, you're way less likely to make, make intuitive decisions because you start second guessing yourself and, and all of these things. Yeah, it's a very good point. I, I have heard or read that overthinking can be an early indicator or symptom, possibly. And I use that term very cautiously, mm-hmm. of, of yeah. depression or anxiety or other mental health totally. conditions. It, I, do I you agree. find this is the case? Yeah, I would. I absolutely agree. I mean, you can take yourself down a rabbit hole of negativity or you can, you know, it's easier said than done. I understand that. But, you know, we do, we do in many cases have a choice of, of how we, we can choose our thoughts, right? And right. so, you know, today we can talk about, you know, tonight talk about some of the strategies that I give people to try to get out of their heads so that they don't go down that rabbit hole or go less it, down the rabbit hole than they might have to begin with. Right. And anxiety is the number one mental health condition in North America. And, you know, some studies have mm-hmm. demonstrated that, you know, 70% of people experience anxiety and generalized anxiety disorder is characterized by that tendency to worry excessively about several things. And, and oftentimes mm-hmm. when we worry, well, it's pointless and it's needless because it doesn't have anything to do with the outcome. Right. That is something that I have learned in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It has nothing to do with the outcome, but people feel that if they're worrying, they're doing something, they're being proactive. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I think that a lot of people wouldn't even be aware that that is something that's almost like over 50 feels comfortable to them. Yeah. And it's almost, uh, that's very interesting that you say that because oftentimes I, I can see that worry is almost an addiction. And I use that term loosely as well mm-hmm. for people. They're addicted to worrying mm-hmm. and because I they feel think- it's productive. Exactly. I, I don't think, I think if people had a choice and they were, you know, more aware of their, their tendencies and more aware of things they could do to get out of their heads, I, I think if people had a choice, they, they would choose not 
to overthink. You know, I, I mean, I haven't done mm-hmm. research on that, but I, I would like to think people would prefer to, you know, be more productive in a, in a different way, in a healthy way, let's say. Mm-hmm. And, and now I've also read, um, and this was kind of, it was in a journal Trends and Cognitive Sciences article that suggested mm-hmm. that um, overthinkers are smarter than those who, those of us who do not overthink. <laughs> Um, and they may be more imaginative as well. I was highly offended by both of these. However, <laughs> I must speak the truth. I speak only the truth on the show. That's it. Um, you know, it's, but you know, it makes me, there's probably something to that. Yeah, I think of ignorance as bliss, right? <laughs> and he used to say, "One way, one way is right or wrong." I mean, you could have a, a really a uh, person who does amazing things in their life because they they weren't second guessing things, you know, because maybe they were a little bit quote unquote ignorant. I mean, that's, that's a strong word, but maybe they were a bit oblivious or didn't, you know, didn't second guess. They just went for it or maybe they didn't know what potential negative outcomes could be. So they just go for it. Whereas somebody else, sure, maybe they're, they have an ability to, to um, see things from all different angles and, and that takes intelligence, but it doesn't mean one's better than the other. I mean, mm-hmm. really. Exactly. My guest is Nicole Porter. She is a stress coach, nutritional and wellness educator as well, who helps busy professionals. Good. Uh, thanks so much, Nicole, for staying with me. We are talking about overthinking. And uh, I specifically asked you to uh, help our listeners with overcoming overthinking since about 80% of people experience this. Thanks for staying on the on the line. Nicole, what are your suggestions to help people overcome overthinking? So I generally give people about seven different suggestions. And really the common denominator of, of all of them is that you shift your thinking away from what's been overcoming you, whatever you are ruminating about or overthinking about. So a few of them, do something that you love. So this is why it's super important to have a hobby. Um, you know, it may not be something that you love or something that you're passionate about, but something that can at least take your mind off of whatever is sort of plaguing you. That could even be volunteering or, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really could be cleaning up your home for that matter, going through your to-do list. If it's something else that's going to take you, um, take you out of your head and get you moving your body as well. And that's the second point is to literally move your body. So go get some exercise. I mean, physically, physiologically, biochemically, this is doing wonders for using up that, I mean, I didn't see too much of it, but, but using up that stress-induced blood glucose. So when you're overthinking, you, as, as you know, you activate the stress response. And what mm-hmm. we want, it's kind of like putting your foot on the gas. That's usually how I describe it. So what we want is to have people put their foot on the brake. So we want to activate the relaxation response instead. And when the stress response is activated, your blood glucose spikes. And so what we want is to actually exercise in order to use up some of that stress-induced blood glucose. So it's a wonderful way to exercise overall. And it doesn't mean you have to run a 10K or run a marathon or do anything crazy or intense. It can just be a walk around the block. I mean, people are really hard on themselves when it comes to exercise and all of these expectations, thinking that it has to look a certain way. Um, but, but even just going for a walk around the block, even just stretching, you know, anything that's getting your body moving. The third one is to be social. 
right? To just get out and, um, and or, or even sit on the phone and talk to somebody, talk to your friends. And I don't mean this is about co-ruminating. I mean, there's such a thing as ruminating together. Uh, so I, I'm not hoping that two people then go down this rabbit hole, but it's, it's a way for you to, sure, you might talk about what's bothering you, but it's, it's, really for, it's really designed as a way to get you to stop thinking about what's bothering you. I'll go to, you want me to go to the fourth one? Yes, please do. I'm enjoying okay. these. We've got okay. about two minutes okay. left. <laughs> okay, perfect. So the fourth one is to be grateful. And I, I'm a big fan of people writing down what they're grateful for, having a gratitude journal. And it doesn't just mean be grateful for what you have today. It's also about being grateful for what you want to have in the future. And, and I'm, I'm a big believer in, in, you know, manifestation and that sort of thing. So it's really important. It's really hard to be angry or overthinking or negative about something when you're thinking about what you're grateful for. So it's, that's kind of the simplest way to put it. Number five and six involve mindful breathing. Now, people could, you know, when I talk mindful breathing, this can be a tricky thing for people because, again, just like exercise, they think it has to look a certain way. And so if they think you have to be perfect like Buddha sitting on a mountaintop mindfully breathing with clarity of thought, then they'll never try it or they'll feel like they're, you know, failures because they can't seem to get it right or they're thinking, oh, my to-do list is interrupting me, you know, for the whole 10 minutes I'm trying to breathe. So I, I try to get people to understand it's not about being perfect. And if, if it's hard to just mindfully breathe and focus on your breath, then try a body scan. So you can go to my website or you can go to YouTube. There's plenty of places that you can find a body scan. But a body scan is basically designed to help you relax different areas of your body. And it's great because not only does it help you listen to somebody else's voice instead of your own, but it also helps you get into your body, which, like I said earlier, with overthinking, I try to get people to get out of their head and into their bodies. And we're going to have to cut you short. Oh, oh the seventh no one. We'll, we'll have seventh to wait one. for the get next it, time you come on. And how can people get in touch with you quickly? Uh, they can go to the website, NicolePorterWellness.com or anywhere on social media. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Nicole. Always <laughs> appreciate your wisdom. All right, we'll get you back for sure. Thanks, Lorraine. Have a great night. I'm very excited about having my next guest on the program. She is a transformational life coach joining me from Ottawa, Ontario. Her name is Carol Bannons. She helps midlife women move from feeling lost and empty to creating an epic next chapter using her Joyful Life Blueprint. Good evening, Carol. Thank you so much for joining me on the line. Thank you for having me, Maureen. It's a pleasure. Oh, great to have you. So midlife for women, it's a difficult yeah. time. You know, it can yeah. really start anywhere from the 30s, you know, really to the 60s. For, That's um, what I was thinking. Women. Yes, it sort of expanded, hasn't it? It certainly has. And, you know, especially with the life extension for people, given all of the medical advancements that we've made, many people may live 20, 30 years after the age of 55, 60, 65. So tell me a little bit about your Joyful Life Blueprint and why you decided to coach women at midlife. What are some of the big problems and issues that they face? Yes. So... If I'm going to do a quick backstory, I, um, 
I changed from being a physiotherapist to a life coach after my husband passed away four years ago, and oh, I was I'm that sorry. woman in mid. Thank you. Um, I was that woman in midlife, sitting there thinking, "Now what? Who am I? I don't know how to connect with joy. Who was I without him?" And as I thought about that, I thought about so many midlife women who have either um, pushed their needs down through their marriage through work, through having children. They may be empty nesters. They may be looking after parents, doing overtime. So many things that women do to put themselves last. And they get to a point and they go, hang on a minute. I don't even know who I am anymore. And so I thought that that was an appropriate time for me to start thinking about myself and sort of doing some reconnection with who I was. So my Joyful Life Blueprint really is helping women to reconnect with who they are. What are their values? What is it they love to do? They've forgotten, mostly. They don't even know who they are, where they want to go, and so that they can look forward to their next stage. I think, you know, with menopause, with our changing bodies, with our changing situations, often women just say, well, I guess that's it. I'm settling, and I want them to experience joy because we can do that despite difficulties. You know, going through grief, it's pretty difficult. And I certainly didn't feel joyous. Wow. I, I mean, I just have so many thoughts, one of which is turning your grief and pain into helping others. And that's yeah. certainly a way that we can find joy yeah, in life. Yeah, for sure. Um, yes. But also, a lot of the patients that I see through my virtual yep. clinic are yep. in sexless marriages. And of course, so yes. they're lacking the joy, yep. uh, especially midlife women are lacking the joy yep. at that time of yep. their lives. But I find that there's a common denominator with many of them, that they are chronically busy. They care yes, more about exhausted. the vacuum cleaner lines <laughs> in the carpeting <laughs> yep. than they yep. do about pleasure, than they yes. do about joy. They just go on like robots. And I they've gotten so. into this method of living and really disconnected from themselves. I think totally. And I think part of that is, of course, societal and cultural. We're brought up to put others first, be good. It's polite and don't speak up. And when you've done that for years and years and years, and then there's a big change for me. It was the death of my husband, but it could be empty nesters. It could be a divorce. It could be a change in your job. Maybe you've just all of a sudden hit 55 and you're no longer employed. It, it yeah. Certainly, it does. And it affects so many women. And so what is the youngest, let's see, you know, age of women that you coach? And what are their issues? I would say, really right now, I would say they're more over 50 than in their 40s. But mm -hmm. really, it is those issues of not knowing who they are. They've just totally, they've become like an empty shell of themselves and not valuing themselves and beliefs as well. I'm too old now or, you know, I am who I am or it's, you know, I may as well just settle. It's too late. It's too hard to change. And it's about really trying to connect with them and saying, no, it isn't. You know, you might have, just as you said, another 30 years. Um, I know when Brian died and I was 54, my mother lived till she was 92. I have a good 30, you know, something years left. And I didn't want to be sitting on the couch watching Netflix for the next 30 years. So I thought it's really important. And so Absolutely. That's where, yeah. Yeah. 
So often women in their 50s, I find that's where they are because that's when, you know, the kids are often leaving home, marriages split up, maybe we lose a loved one. But then, of course, you sometimes have the caring for aging parents that comes in and women are just overburdened with, I should do this and should do that. And the the duties that they take on, plus working, many of them, and they're absolutely exhausted and burnt out. They can't even think of what they'd like to do because there's nothing, they're depleted. There's nothing left. And that's a word that I often use. I I say often to couples in sexless marriages who have the seemingly perfect life, the beautiful house, they might have a second Mm -hmm. house, perfect kids, vacuum cleaner lines in the carpeting, the house is perfect. (laughs) Uh, You know, working inside and outside of the home. I say, if you went outside to your neighbor's, and said, we're in a sexless marriage, you know, what would they think? And they all give me the same response, which is they would be shocked because everything looks so perfect. But yeah. it looks so perfect at the expense of people's lives, caring about their physical and emotional yeah. health. Why is it important so that women address this earlier than when they have a significant life event occur in their mid-50s, for example? I think it's I think we need to teach our girls early on that actually we've got their communication with their partners, whoever they may be, girls, other girls, boys, whoever, that actually they are valued and their needs are valued and sharing whatever it is in the house works. So and then really prioritizing that communication between each other and speaking up for what you want. And I think that's hard for women because they traditionally haven't done that. So I think maybe the newer generation is better at sharing within the household, but the majority of us of a certain age, we, we've done it all, and it's, it, it's too much. So I think we need to start earlier so that women then don't get to their 50s and have this awful, oh, gosh, now what? Who am I kind e- of moment. Exactly. And, and yeah. limited so self-care. Yeah. I yeah. have a friend and, who um, I always use her an example uh, I went over to her house one time and she, her kids were just wreaking havoc on the house. The place was a mess, non-judgmental. Yeah. I don't care yeah. at all. But she yeah. sat there. It was about 5.30 at night. Her husband was traveling. And she yeah. sat there with a glass of wine, a candle, and a beautiful dinner for herself. You know, rack of lamb and yeah. beautiful potatoes and vegetables. Yeah. She just sat there, calm amidst the chaos she thought, That's she said to beautiful. me, these kids are never going to eat this dinner, but yeah. I think it's important <laughs> that I have a yeah. quiet moment. <laughs> I and think so many beautiful. women forget to do that. Yeah. They do. They do. And I think the other, the other problem is with self-care, people often think, well, you know, a nice bubble bath, but that's not enough. Self-care mm-hmm. means valuing yourself enough to speak up and to not get to your 50s and be invisible. And undervalued. And so I think that self-care has to start earlier and self-care meaning taking care of your health, taking time out to do activities that you like rather than going last on the list. You know, you run the kids to soccer and you go to your husband's, maybe work do, and, and then you have overtime at work yourself. And, and there's nothing left when you get home to, to do something for yourself. So I think self-care, we need to start earlier as in allowing ourselves to do things that are enjoyable to us. And so what are some of the key strategies on your joyful life blueprint? Mm-hmm. It's a approach, really reconnecting with self. So we're looking at 
where are you right now? Whereabouts in your life are you lacking things? We'd probably do a wheel, a nice wheel of, um, and have a look at different areas. We want to look at limiting beliefs. We want to look at core values. What's important to you? For some people, it might be adventure or travel, and they haven't done it in 20 years. We're going to look at healthy boundaries. That's the other big one because I think that covers so much because we don't like saying no to people. Maybe we'll upset mm -hmm. them, and that's a big thing for women. So I think really learning how to create healthy boundaries, which then creates more time for them to do their self-care, but also more confidence in themselves, a lot of visualization, and a lot to do with gratitude. I really do a lot with mindfulness and gratitude because we want to really develop joy on the inside, not look at that external stuff of the cottage and the extra house and all the beautiful things. They're great. But they're not Absolutely. really where you're going to get your joy from. And we have to really learn how to cultivate that. And I think gratitude is a big part. So that would be a big part of the Joyful Life Blueprint, is how do we, how do we tap into joy on a daily basis? And I think it starts with gratitude. I think contribution is another big one. Um, and really look at well-being. Absolutely. It sounds like a wonderful plan. How can people get in touch with you? Those women out there who are feeling depleted, feeling yeah. like they're no longer paying attention to themselves and they're not valuing themselves. What's the best way to get in touch with you, Carol? The best way is through my website, www.carolbannons.com. That's B-A-N-E-N-S.com. And uh, they can get in touch with me there. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn. Drop me a line and a message and uh, we can chat. I would love to speak to any of you ladies who need some help with that to find some joy in your life. Wonderful. Well, Carol, it's been an absolute joy having you on the program. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Maureen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.